Hi, everyone. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for those who have used or will be using or thinking of using donor conception to build their family. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in the field, working on site at some of the best clinics in the world, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I've run workshops for donor-conceived children and have met thousands of donors and recipients. In this podcast, my guests and I will share the tools and the truths that you need to have a better path to parenthood and help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we're here to talk about it. Today, we have Michael Green. I'm very excited to, to introduce him. He got his doctorate at uh, Columbia University in developmental psychology. His professional life has been focused on the prevention and dynamics of youth violence. He's written numerous peer-reviewed articles and has lectured extensively on this topic. Recently, he commenced a psychotherapy practice for adults in the D.C. world. Michael has one domestically adopted child who's 28 years old, and he adopted her when she was one hour old with his wife. And um, his daughter knew from the early stages that her life with Michael and his wife that she was adopted, and she knew who her birth mother was. They exchanged letters during her school years when she met her birth mother and half-brother in person when she was 18. And Michael himself is a donor and has uh, met donor-conceived children that he has been participated in creating and has had many experiences through um, being a donor himself, but also meeting the donor-related children. And I really wanted him to come today so that everyone could have the opportunity to really understand both sides of the story, to really see kind of the experience of somebody who donates their sperm and what it's been like for him in his journey to understand what it's meant to him, and over the years, what it's meant to others. So thanks so much for joining us, Michael. Really appreciate having you here. It's fantastic to see you. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your story, how you decided to become a sperm donor, and then what the process was like, and then how you decided, I really want to meet uh, donor-conceived children, offspring of mine. Well, I donated in the 1970s. I was a poor graduate student. You know, I don't know who told me or how I found out about sperm donation, but it seemed easy to me and a quick way to make money. And I contacted a fertility doctor. We used fresh sperm uh, in cycles of three donations over three days, no, over donate, rest, donate, rest. You know, they kept calling me back. So I knew, at least in the back of my mind, that uh, my sperm was taking. But frankly, I did not think much about the consequences. We had to sign anonymity, uh, an anonymity contract. Um, wow. And I believe the... Uh, father of the kids, because they were all married heterosexual couples at the time, which obviously has changed uh, today. And I actually met one of the mothers of, of two full sisters. She told me that she would not have done it unless her husband wanted this too. 
which I think is in general a good practice. Then I don't know how long I did it, probably four or five years, um, not every week, obviously. Then I went on in my professional and personal life. And frankly, I didn't think about the consequences. Every once in a while, I thought maybe I'll meet somebody um, on the streets of New York where I lived and donated that looked just like me. But that was just a fleeting thought until I received a letter from a genealogist that was paid for by one of my donor children. Um, I hadn't thought about it very much. And that makes sense, right? Because when you're a young person kind of pursuing your career, your education, you're really focused on those things. And it's hard to kind of think about the future, right? I mean, most kids, you know, who drive fast or do all sorts of things, don't even think about the consequences of, of that, right? And so it's very natural for a young person not to think of those things. Um, so where when did you get to the place where it did occur to you, well, I may have donor-related children? Well, it wasn't my decision or insight. In December of 2018, I received a letter from a genealogist. I almost didn't open it because it looked like, um, you know, we're having a dinner, giving you financial advice and stuff like that. But I did open it. It essentially said that uh, she introduced herself as a genealogist and that she was hired by two clients who are full sisters. And she pointed out, and I know that the kids and their mother, you know, contributed to the letter and they said they don't want any money. They don't want really, you know, the main thing they want is medical records. And uh, we think that they are your biological children. I was pretty shocked um, and excited. I um, remember reading it in the early evening and I got so excited. I showed my wife and said, wow, I may have a family, an additional family. And it's interesting, her reaction, she was, she was envious that I, it looked like I would have a new family. So I called the genealogist back the next day. Uh, obviously, I knew what was possible. And I was, you know, I, I, I couldn't figure out how she found me because I'd never given a DNA, never taken a DNA test. And it was really a circuitous route. She ended up finding a second cousin of mine who was very interested in building a family tree. And he, you know, donated, not donated, he, he did a DNA test some time ago. And the genealogist reached out to him. His name was Robert. And basically asked, if he knew anybody in the family who was in New York in the 1970s, was a graduate or medical student, because that's basically all they took at that time, and was the right age, usually in the 20s. And I was the only one he could figure out who met all those criteria. So they deduced that maybe me. <laughs> and it was. Wow, that's amazing. You felt excited about it, the the prospect of meeting um, these children. I did. It was a hard time for me at that time. I was in uh, the process of separating from my wife amicably, as amicably as it can be. 
And also my best friend was dying. So I really felt sort of this double loss and I was, I was moving out of the house. So the idea that I could have, I don't know, kids that um, would come into my life, I never thought of myself as their father, but it was kind of, and I still think of this way, as a mysterious link that, you know, none of us can really put our finger on, on what it means. So I called uh, the genealogist back and she said, you know, would you be willing to take a paternity test? And I said, yes. And then she said, one of the sisters, you know, would be interested in, in exchanging emails with you. And I said, sure, that's fine. And she did. And we kind of got to know each other just a little bit. I don't know who suggested this, but one of us suggested we meet. And it turns out that one of the sisters lived a half a mile from me, which was wow. amazing because I probably passed her in the grocery store. I live in New Jersey, northern New Jersey. Yeah. The other one lives out of town. And so we arranged to meet on a Friday. So I drove over there and... You know, I think we're all a bit nervous, and there they were as they opened the door, and we all sort of <laughs> stood there sort of stunned a little bit, and while I, you know, I just said, do you mind if I hug you both? And oh, nice. they, um, this, this is really emotional, and of course, they said yes, and we sat down and chatted for about three hours. And um, we, this again was, this was January of 2019. And those two sisters, I think of, of all the um, biological kids I've met, I'm the closest to. And we visit frequently. They're very, very special. And we, you know, at, at some point in our exchanges of texts or emails, we start ending it with love. And we do love one another. I mean, it's not, again, I never position myself as their father, because I'm not, but there's just something special about the relationship. I know their mother at one point said, oh, you know, you really contributed to raising these great girls. I said, you know, I just contributed a few genes. <laughs> you raise them. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, and, and that's true. I had nothing to do with raising them at all. But amazingly, there were, there were some similarities and some similarities. I think I've met now about 12. Um, we're having a get-together in person tomorrow in my hometown. And so far, we've, I think there are 12 of my uh, biological kids coming, two of which I, I haven't met or contacted. So that should be really interesting. The others, the others I met uh, usually in person, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again. That's so exciting. Yeah. And, and do they all know each other? You know, they, uh, I was really pleased about this. I didn't know at one point, um, one of the sisters, I'll call her S told me that they formed kind of a half-sibling group and oh. they have done Zoom meetings together. Not all of them, but several of them, these two guys 
I'm not surprised about this, that I was told that they really have become friends. They're sort of similar personality. And I really love that the kids just talk to one another, you know, in person and through electronic means. I just think that's fantastic. And it's so nice that everybody gets along, right? I mean, even, you know, when you are raised in the same family, you don't always get along with your siblings, right? So it's really fantastic that everybody likes each other and they get along and they really feel like they have this extended community. Yeah, so far, I mean, I there's one uh, of my biological sons who I just met recently, like I think probably last month, and he at first sent me an email, a little bit snarky, but I responded. I just sort of ignored that fact, and we started to exchange emails, and I said, would you like to do a Zoom meeting? And he said, well, I'm not ready for that. And then after we exchanged a few emails, he said, you know, I changed my mind. I think I would like to meet you. And I'm a little nervous, and I'd like to bring my wife along, if that's okay, kind of his security blanket. We met for dinner, and they they were, and I have to say, I really feel, this is an odd term, feel proud of, of how they've evolved as adults. They were, they're all, I, I can't say I dislike um, or annoyed or anything like that about any of them. We had a very good meeting, and he's very private and shy. We didn't think that he would volunteer to come to this meeting tomorrow, but he responded yes. So um, I'm really glad he's coming. I think he'll get along with, I mean, they're a nice group of people. That's fantastic. So how is it for you, Michael? Could you give people who are watching some insight of what your experience is like? You know, you see yourself as having a special connection, your offspring, even though it's not paternal exactly. Um, And of course, you also have a child who you're not genetically connected to. And so what's that like for you? What's that like for your child? My child, who, uh, as you mentioned, is 28 years old. We met him when uh, he was one hour old. He eventually announced that he was trans. So I try to use the proper pronouns of she. She had some real major psychiatric problems. I think the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is have to call the police and to take them to the local psychiatric unit of our of our local hospital. There wasn't any way. He was just so out of control. We got through that. We end up, ended up sending her to five residential facilities. Wow. She's much better now. She lives with her partner, a male. You know, she's still frightened or too anxious about getting a job. She's in therapy with a, with, with a very good therapist. We have a wonderful relationship. I mean, she, not to brag, but she said, you, you are the, I'm sure other people have their kids say this too. So you're the best father I could ever imagine. Oh. Um, and it's, um, you know, I feel very, very proud. And she was the kid I raised. She was... You know, she is my daughter. The other ones, you know, I, I, I obviously didn't raise them, but we're getting to know each other. And again, they, they are such a, a wonderful group of people. And it's, it's interesting 
the characteristics. One of the one of the girls, young women, uh, sent out a survey, and I think maybe ten of the children filled it out. And we are all, with one exception, introverts. I think we all have a terrible sense of direction. I apologize for <laughs> to them for that because I have an awful sense of direction. We're all right-handed. I have to say, maybe with bias, that I think they're very, very bright. I think of the 12 I've met or 13, I think 10 of them have master's degrees, some two master's degrees. The other ones who didn't go to college are very, very smart. I remember I was talking to the guy I mentioned previously, and he said, oh, I'm not as educated as you. I said, that really doesn't matter. <laughs> and when I met him, I realized he was very, very bright. He just took a different path than, than mm-hmm. I did. It was great. One of them, I remember I was going to meet two full sisters in April of 2021, whenever the COVID restrictions and epidemic started. I think that was 20 mm-hmm. or 19, I forget. So we were playing in April and then boom. You know, COVID hit, and we eventually decided in the summertime to meet in a park in Queens. They live in Long Island. And so we took our chairs there and, you know, positioned them six feet apart so we could take Mm -hmm. our mask off. And it was a great meeting. They talked about their parents. Uh, Their mother had died. Their father, they described as not in great shape physically or mentally. And they said, we were always wondering how we got so smart <laughs> and because their parents weren't educated. Now, my parents weren't educated either. Somehow they find, find that, you know, they both have master's degrees and doing professional work. And the other thing that makes me really, really happy is most of them are in the human services field, oh. as oh. I am. A lot of teachers. Uh, an art therapist and or artist. I have one one of one of the uh, biological daughters is a very prominent freelance writer and has contributed to the New York Times articles and the Washington Post. It's wonderful to see the accomplishments. And there's one other thing I want to mention, which is, you know, I, I think we all when we develop close friendships with somebody, and then we get introduced to their spouse or partner. We're nervous. Are we going to get along with them? Are we going to hate them? I have to say, every spouse I met, I I think they're fantastic. Wow, they are wonderful. I mean, I, I and I'm so glad that the kids. Not all of them are married, but most of them are. Uh, but they made really good choices. They are fantastic. One marriage is ending, but you know. I really have a good time with the uh, with their partners. Oh, that's well. amazing, right? Because you know, what are the chances, right? People, people that yeah. you may have, you know, a bunch of best friends and siblings, and you don't just know if you're going to like their partners. That's uh, incredible. So, Michael, what happened with your daughter? Does she have a, an opinion about you reaching out to all of these uh, children? She knows about them, and early on, I had. Four of the biological kids with their families over in the summer of 2021. I'm not sure, maybe 2022. And she, I invited her, and she came with her partner. She was a little anxious, but she's mm-hmm. always anxious in social 
situations, but, you know, and she liked the people. Then about three or four weeks later, that young woman who lives close to me and her husband uh, came over for brunch with my uh, daughter. And I can't believe how good they were with her. They just asked her, you know, they just were really interested in her, didn't push, were very sensitive. And I remember when she came back to visit, she wanted to reach out to them, meet with them without me. Hmm. So that makes me really happy. I mean, there's, you know, I've told her, I said, you know, you're my, and I don't think any of my biological kids would mind this. I said, you're my real child. I raised you. You're the one who I think of when I think of my daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's clear about it. And I, you know, I, I think probably if she's, in, actually, she recently, uh, one of my biological kids lives uh, in Massachusetts where my daughter lived. I met her once before, and, and I invited Sammy to meet with her, and they got along great. It was just, you know, it wasn't a big thing. That's fantastic. That's great. What a beautiful story. I'll tell you one other thing that I have noticed. Well, a, a few things. One is that some of the biological kids are not interested in meeting me. Mm-hmm. And... For example, uh, two brothers of the biological daughters I have, they also, they're, they're full siblings, and they just expressed no interest in meeting me. And that's fine for me. I mean, I always, you know, I posted, I made public my DNA on Ancestry. And the way I do it is if they get in touch with me, I certainly welcome them getting in touch, and I will communicate them and with them and meet with them on the level that they feel comfortable, that we both feel comfortable with. I never insist on, I mean, I always defer to them in terms of the level intimacy or that they want to have. The other thing I noticed is that their relationships, and this isn't true for 100%, and I'm sure it's not true in other sperm donors as well, that the father has the most trouble. So remember when I did it, there were the, it was basically male infertility. And in several of the cases, the fathers, and this is a report to me by the kids, just felt insecure. And oftentimes they didn't have a good relationship. Hmm. One of the kids, amazingly, he told his father when he was seven or eight, he said, you're not my father. And you know, he didn't, didn't get along with his father, but that's an amazing statement. So I think probably mainly on an unconscious level, several of the kids uh, realized that there was something off about their relationship with their father. Now, it's not true across the board. One of my biological daughters is very close to both her mother and father. And I remember talking with her, exchanging emails two years ago. And she said, you know, I feel guilty having a relationship with you. And so, and I perfectly understood that. She, you know, I said, well, you might think about going to therapy. I mean, push it. Uh, And she said, you know, I've already reached out to a therapist. So, you know, there's some exceptions to the relationships are are sometimes problematic. And I, I think during that time, 
the attitude towards machismo or virility was different than it is now. And it was uh, a threat to their masculinity and also an insecurity about raising a kid that they knew was not biologically there. I mean, they, you know, they said at the time, and I think they probably still said at the time that the husband and wife should have intercourse the uh, night in which I donated to mix the sperm. But, you know, I know for a fact that one of them and probably many of them had zero sperm count for various reasons. So there was no chance that that it was their sperm that impregnated their wife's uh, egg. The one mother I met, and she's the mother of the two girls I'm most close to, and she asked one of the kids, would I mind meeting her? And I said, no, not at all. And we met at a restaurant. And it was wonderful. She came and she said, Michael, I have a million questions for mm-hmm. you. We had a, a wonderful meeting. We met subsequently a few times. But eventually, her husband uh, had a problem with this. And he basically said, I prefer that you don't have a relationship with Michael, which made me sad. But it's, you know, it's understandable. It's understandable. Um, I, in, in some way, you know, I was a threat to his status. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that he knew that I was developing very close relationships with his daughters that I don't think he ever had. I mean, it's, it's obviously there are many differences. And temperamentally, the kids and I are, are more similar than they are to her father, their father. One other thing that I, I always get emotional when I convey this, when I met with the mother, and we met about three, three times maybe four. At one point she said, I'm glad it was you. And that was the nice, best thing ever told me, anybody ever told me in my life. It was, it was, it was wonderful. It just warmed my heart. And, you know, I uh, will always remember that. That's really nice. Well, it sounds like your experience was so wonderful. Um, I also kind of want to look at the other side. So, you know, you're, you met your daughter's birth parents, right? Yes. She always knew that she was adopted. I asked her a few months ago, because this is an issue with donor conception, as you know, what she would have felt like if she hadn't known. And she said, I don't know. I always knew. Exactly. That was a part. Yeah. But I'll tell you two, two things that happened that reminded me that well three things one i think she was about 10 years old or something like that and she was reflecting on her biological mom or birth mom said she gave me up when i was this big and it just i mean she was very happy with us but it reminded us that there's that link with the biological mother and I learned one thing fairly recently. I told her, my daughter, that her birth mom gave her up out of love because she was not not prepared to raise her. She didn't have the resources. Her husband said that he would leave her if she kept the kid. And I remember we talked with her the second day because all her 
relatives that were there were swooning about Sammy, and which uh, is a very beautiful kid, infant. So he went to see her birth mom and said, are you sure you want to, you know, we know that, you know, your, your mother and father and one of your sons really want you to keep him. And she said, you know, you don't know me, but once I make up my mind, that's it. I know you'll give her what she what she needs, and I don't have it. So at one point, and I think several times, we told Sammy she gave you as out of love. And that just, it's not a good thing to say because they still feel abandoned. You know, I think it's important to, to respond and, and acknowledge that they feel that way rather than say, oh, your birth mom gave you up out of love. You have to recognize that as an adopted father. And at one point, I'll tell you this one other funny story. At one point, she's about 12 or 13. She's a very talkative kid, very smart. And she told my wife, she said, you kidnapped me. And my wife said, what? What do you mean? You kidnapped me. And she said, I'm going to see my lawyer. And uh, our neighbor next door was a lawyer. <laughs> so she marched over there. And our neighbor assured her that this was all done on the up and up and legal. And we realized we never told her about the legality mm -hmm. of all this, that we went through all the proper yeah. channel. It was just a very funny. And it is, I think, adoption is much different than donor conception in many ways. But what I was trying to kind of think about was how when you first start to think about it, you know, people start to think about pursuing donor conception. They may have this vision that I'm afraid I might not connect with my child. I might not feel like I'm the parent of that child. And so I think, you know, you're pointing out even when you have no genetic connection and even when your wife didn't carry your daughter, you still feel like your daughter is your daughter. And so I think it's important for people to, to you know, just remember that because Although these children do see you as, you know, their biological father, they also know that they were raised by their parents and you feel like your daughter is your daughter. And I think people worry about that when they start this process. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, with my adopted daughter, after she met her birth mom and half brother, they were a bit nuts, to tell you the truth. And they were saying crazy things. I'm not going to go into that, but hurtful and crazy things, not intentionally, just because... That's who they are. They were just off base. And they were, at many points, very addicted to drugs. Her biological father was a lifelong meth addict. Mm -hmm. And finally, our daughter said, I'm not, I'm not going to have any contact with them. It's just not good for me. It was the most mature decision she ever made in her life, because they weren't weren't good for her. Yeah. And everyone has to make those decisions. I have three adopted children. They all have very different relationships with their birth parents. Um, their stories are all very different. And just like you said, you have some bio children who really want to connect with you and others who don't, right? And so I think it's it's so important for everybody to know that, that everybody has their own path and you have to respect whatever your path is and whatever your feelings are about your genetics, but just because you don't share genetics doesn't mean you can't be a parent. I think that that's you know really important. 
Yeah, I, I think that's both true. And I, those individual differences are really important to respect. I mean, I get annoyed when somebody outside uh, this realm who hasn't adopted or hasn't had donor kids may express an opinion, gee, the kids should all be this way or that mm-hmm. way, or aren't you hurt when your biological kids don't want to meet you? I said, no, they're individuals, and that's that's perfectly fine. And I know adoptive folks who are my age, and one in particular, she never had any interest in, in tracking down her, her birth parents. Great parents and um, uh, adoptive parents, and, and that's okay. And I, I think that's an important message for all people, whatever they, they're a biological kid, if they're adopted kid, I think that one thing that's important in adoption, and I'm sure you know this, is you never waver in being their father and loving them. And I have one friend who adopted and also a troublesome kid. Actually, we found out that they went to one of the same residential facilities for troubled kids. And at one point, she told me, it took a while to acknowledge this. They were getting into an argument, and the kid said, I wish you never adopted me. And she blurted out, yeah, I wish I never adopted you as well. You can't say that. I mean, she felt very bad and guilty and realized after she said it that you, you can't say mm-hmm. that. We all have those moments. It's, it's not going right. to be Right. We good. all have those feelings, but saying it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah you have those feelings. Anybody who's had a teenager has had those feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's a one no-no, I would say, in terms of adoptive parents. All right, Michael. We, we do need to wind down in a moment, but I'm wondering if you have any um, advice or thoughts that, that we haven't talked about, things that you'd like to share with perspective recipients of donor eggs or donor sperm or donor embryos and um, any advice you would give them? I would call them best practices. And um, this is not my own opinion. Other people have suggested this and there's been a bit of research. I, I think that it's really important for the parents of the kids to tell their kids mm-hmm. about their origins. Yeah. And there's lots of books that can help parents uh, mm-hmm. do this. You know, kids who find out late, and all of my kids did, mainly around 40, it really shocks their sense of identity. It can be very harrowing and traumatic. So I would really advise uh, people who have donor-conceived children to tell their kids from the beginning, they won't hate you, they won't be any more distant. We do that with adoptive kids, and and we've learned it's the best practice. I think there also need to be limits on the number of donor kids you have. We think I have about 20, and that's that's at the high end, I think, because it's hard to have relationships with every one of them. And, you know, it gets overwhelming to have so many half-siblings. And we've all heard stories about you know, people I mean a hundred yeah 200 kids. yeah and that that really should not should not be and I I think that and there's some legislation in some countries about this for example in Australia where the donors are required to give information and be available to meet when the kid turns mm-hmm. 18. I'm actually in 
probably the first ever sperm donor support group <laughs> that I know of. One of the guys who were younger than me donated to um, a lesbian couple. He knew one of the women and they liked him and he contributed the sperm. And, and eventually, maybe I think three years later, the other one did too. And he's what we call a known donor. He plays with the kids. I've seen some photographs of him with the kids and they're wonderful. And at this point, they call him their uncle. Uh, and I think that's fine too. I mean, if people want to do that, that it's not harmful. We always think that, you know, God, there's something not right about this. And I know that right when I was donating, 100% of the, of the recipients were married heterosexual couples. And now the stats I've seen is 60% mm-hmm. gay and lesbian, well, lesbian for, <laughs> for sperm donors. Uh, and single women make up another 20%. So the, the scene is, has changed. You know, there are frozen sperm banks instead of fresh sperm. But I, I think the basics of, of limiting the number of biological kids you have to talking with them at the beginning, to do some screening of the uh, donors. Now, I'll just say one thing about that. I thought a lot about that in terms of the level of screening. And, you know, there's some connection with the eugenics movement and sperm donation. Historically, you know, some people have suggested we screen for genetic diseases. You know, I read that there are 7,000 single gene diseases. We can't screen for all of them. And, you know, it's almost, I mean, there was one, one fellow, you probably know more about this than I do, who wanted geniuses to contribute, only genius men to contribute sperm. And that is really bordering on, it is, I would say it is eugenics. You know, it's fine to match on physical characteristics and make sure somebody doesn't have venereal disease and, you know, maybe major illnesses like early heart attacks and things like that. And that should be the decision of of the recipients. So those are the kinds of best practices I think, you know, we need to move towards. That's great. Well, we have, there's a lot to talk about there too. So we'll have to have you back on, Michael. I really appreciate you coming and we will dive into those things next time because there's a lot, a lot to talk about there too. So um, can you let everybody uh, know how to reach you on social media or a website? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, Michael B. Green, you know, all you have to do is invite me and tell me you're part of this world, and I will certainly respond to you. I'll give you my email. Uh, I am working with, you know, just starting a practice with adult donor-conceived people, so it could be donors, it could be recipients, but I only work with adults, so I'll give you mm-hmm. my email. It's uh, mpecounseling at gmail.com. For people who don't know, MP is the name we give to misattributed uh, parentage or misattributed parental experience, sometimes called MP. So mine is mpecounseling at gmail.com. Great. And if, if folks have any other questions about anything I've said, I'd be glad to engage them. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure the listeners appreciate it too. And we'll definitely stay in touch, Michael. Thank you so much for coming. Okay, thank you, Lisa. 
Thank you. And for everyone out there, I am also happy to be um, in touch. And you can access a lot of books on our website at familybuilding.net. We also have a lot of videos there for you to take a look at. Um, there's a wealth of information. So feel free to reach out to us and subscribe to this podcast so we can keep getting the good word out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Lisa.